Saturday. Okay, let's open our Bibles back to the book of Romans. I'm still in Romans 12. Still in Romans 12, a continuation. Well, I enjoyed the good liberty that we had this morning. And uh, I feel like the Lord's trying to help us in these verses. Verse 1 and 2 of Romans 12. Verse 1 deals with man's responsibility. If you want a transformation in your life, you want to be a better dad, you want to be a better mom, a better Christian, brother, brother, sister, then there, God requires some things of you. Verse 1 deals with what man's responsibility is. I had thought that we'd get into verse 2 tonight and we would deal with what God does for us once we do our end, once we take care of our responsibility, uh, then I thought we would deal with that tonight. But while I, was, while I was preaching this morning, I saw another phrase that I think we'd best deal with because it's important. And it has to do with what we have to do. So for sure, we need to know what we have to do. We want transformation power of the Spirit at work in our life. Then it's important that we know our part. What is our part? Well, there's another little phrase here that I want to share with you. We'll read these two verses again. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let's pray. Father, would you help us tonight? Lord, uh, we need you. We need the transforming power of the Spirit. God, we're not satisfied with mediocre. We're not satisfied with a mediocre church. I'm not satisfied being a mediocre preacher. And my feeling is there's a lot of people here that are not satisfied with being mediocre Christians. Would you help us to excel? Lord, I pray that you'd help us to see some things tonight. And Lord, we could apply them to our life. Lord, that we could put them into action. And Lord, that you might take us and make us extraordinary. Do that now as only you can, and we'll thank you for all that's accomplished. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. I want to think about tonight one last area here that is our job if we want God to do the transforming in our lives. This one's tough. What I'm going to preach tonight is beyond ground level Christianity. When I get into it, it's advanced. I'm going to preach about a Christian tonight that you probably know very few of. Really, when you get right down to it, you probably know very few of them. And we'll look at that here just a little bit tonight. Now, we've already talked about 
the conversion and transformation, and I've said it again and again, but I'll say it again tonight. None of this works if you've never been saved. Uh, you can turn over new leaves, try out new things. It'll never work without being born again. Can I say this? That's why it's important to help missionaries go into the prisons. Because all them programs in the prisons, all that does is make smarter inmates, and they'll turn around and come right back. The only chance that an inmate has of not coming back to jail is getting born again. And so there's no way, uh, there's no way for any of the rest of this to work if you don't have the conversion part. And so we talked about that. Then this morning, I preached a little bit on the how that you must sacrifice yourself and some things to consider. We're considering the mercies of God. And Paul said, when you consider how good God has been to you, how could you not sacrifice to a God that's been that good? I preached on that a little while this morning. Now tonight, I want us to look at this end phrase. And I want to preach a little while on the consecration of transformation. So God says that this sacrifice, if you're going to put yourself on the altar, you're going to give yourself to God, you're going to be used by the Lord. He said it's got to be three things. It's got to be living, it's got to be holy, it's got to be acceptable. Those three things are the requirements for a man to be blessed and used of the Lord. He must be living, he must be holy, and he must be acceptable. Those are the three things I want to deal with tonight. I want to ask you this question. This morning I gave the invitation. I said, anybody that wants to lay their self on the altar and say, here am I, Lord, send me. And before I got done preaching, the altar started filling up. People saying it. Oh, here am I, Lord, send me. But see, being used of God is more than just saying some words. If it were that easy, we'd all get in on it. We'd all just stay up and say, here I am, Lord, send me. That's easy. But God said if you're going to come and lay yourself out as, a, out as a sacrifice, there's some things I expect out of you. There's a way I expect you to do that. Oh my. A Bible way. Let's look at it tonight. Number one, he said you've got to be living. Well, we've all got that down, right? Watch this. Everybody real quick, are you with me? Let's take one big deep breath. Here we go. Everybody took one, right? That means you're a candidate for what I'm preaching on tonight. By the way, you're also a candidate to praise the Lord. Because David said, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. And so if you're living and breathing tonight, you are a candidate for what I'm preaching on this evening. Now the sacrifices of the Old Testament were dead sacrifices. And it had to do with that covenant. It was a covenant that, that was all about death and a covenant that was all about wrong and a covenant that was all about fault. But aren't you glad tonight that you and I are partakers of a new and better covenant? And the Bible said that it's established on new and better promises. And what you and I are in on tonight 
is a new and living covenant. And we're a part of, uh, we're a part of life. And while surrendering our life to Christ means death to self, it is the path to real and everlasting life. I thought about the old song as I stayed on this. I just started living, got me a brand new life, changed my direction, took away all my strife. I'm a newborn believer. It's holy and feeling. The day's getting brighter. The load's getting lighter. I just started living. I say to you tonight that outside of Christ there is no life. People are living. They're going about their business. They're working jobs. But it's a dead end street. Without the Lord Jesus Christ there is no life. My friend, when you surrender yourself to the Lord Jesus, when you submit yourself and sacrifice yourself to him on the altar, what you'll find is that life is richer and life is fuller and life is better. As a matter of fact, Jesus said in Matthew 16, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. I didn't know anything about life until I started serving God. It is the real life. It's a new and living and better way. I'm glad, thank God, for a living hope. So you got to be alive. The Lord don't want your deadness. That's the reason he's interested in these kids. I remember hearing one time of an illustration. There was a young lady in a Sunday school class and every week the teacher would give the invitation and then she'd catch this young lady outside the Sunday school class and she'd say, Kaylee, I know that you've never been saved and the Lord has laid it on my heart. I, I wish you would get saved. And she'd say, she'd say, one of these days I will she said, I want to live my life out. I'm young and I want to have some fun and there's things I want to do and see. But one of these days, I will give my life to the Lord. It came Kaylee's birthday. It was her birthday. The Sunday school teacher some weeks before her birthday had bought some roses and had left them out in the sunshine and allowed them to wilt. The flower petals were falling off. The water that they were in was all brown. And so she went into the Sunday school room that day and she said to Kaylee, I've got you a present for your birthday, something I want you to have. And she brought out them old brown dead flowers and she handed them to her and she said, here you go, sweetheart. I hope you like your birthday present. Well, Kaylee was incensed by it. She said, listen, that, that offends me. Why would you have done that? And she said, sweetheart, don't you realize that's what you're doing to God? While your life is young and vibrant, you're saying, I've got other things to do. I've got other friends to hang around. I want to do other things. And then one day when my life, when the petals are faded and when my life is nearly gone, then I will give my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you young people something. God wants you now. That's the reason the book of Ecclesiastes says, remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. While the evil days come not. Uh, listen, when you get older, things change. Uh, while you're young, uh, while you're excitable, uh, while you've got energy, uh, serve the Lord. Give your life to the Lord. Uh, lay yourself out as a sacrifice. Uh, he wants a living sacrifice. 
So number one, it's living. Number two, he said, I want that sacrifice to be holy. Holy. Now, every sacrifice of the Old Testament required first a consecration. You didn't bring just any old nasty animal to sacrifice to the Lord. If it was a lamb, it had to be spotless and without blemish. And so you had to bring holy sacrifices. Now that's a problem. To me, that presents a problem. Because I'm not holy. I still live in this old flesh. I still have trouble with it, amen. And I still face it, and so I'm not holy. But we know that God has commanded us to be holy. He said, I'm holy, so be ye holy. I'm gonna make a statement right here and hear me out. Don't fall out with me when I first make it. But in this day and age when we're so bombarded with wickedness on every hand, I believe it's impossible to live a holy life outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus makes it possible, but outside of Jesus, I believe it's impossible to do. And so we gotta think about what it is to be holy. How can we be holy? God said this sacrifice, if we're gonna lay our life out, what he wants is a holy life. He wants a clean vessel. How are we gonna do that? Well, let's think about it. Now, there's three ways that everybody in here lives your life. One of these three ways, every Christian. You're either sensual, when we think about sensual, we think some kind of horrible, terrible sin. But I want you to think about this. When I make the statement, I'm cold, that's a sensual statement because I have felt that with my senses. When I say I'm, my, my feelings are hurt, that's a sensual statement because I have felt that with my senses. When I say I, that stinks or that smells bad, that's a sensual statement because I have sensed that with my senses, with my, my, my smell. Now, a sensual Christian, everybody is sensual to a degree because we all taste, feel, smell, all that. But a sensual Christian bases his entire life off of what he can feel, taste, smell, hear. That's what he bases his entire life off of and that makes them a sensual Christian. They say things like this, I'm not going to prayer meeting Wednesday night, it's too hot, that's sensual. I can't go to prayer meeting, I'm too tired, that's sensual. I can't, I can't be involved in the church, I, they, they make me feel bad, that's sensual. You say, well, you, I can't go and witness to the folks in the slums, they smell bad, that's sensual. You see a lot of Christians, they live their life as brute beasts, really, because they live it off of their senses. Everything's about how I feel. Everything's about what I think. Everything's about my understanding of the situation. And they're completely 100% sensual living. Then there's those that live what I call soulish living. Now, this is a catch. These people... It's so close to being spiritual that if you're not careful, you'll confuse it with being spiritual. Let me tell you what I think. These social people, these, these soulish people, now listen to me, I told you this is gonna be advanced. I ain't gonna preach as hard as I preached this morning. 
They live in one, they got three things going on. That is intellect, emotions, and also they have intellect, they have emotions. I'm gonna have to look at my notes. I went brain dead just like that. Intellect, emotions, and will. Intellect, emotions, and will. Let's talk about it. So you can become a student of the Bible. That's intellect. And I mean really be a theologian and impress everybody with how many Bible verses you know and how much of the Bible. And all of that's great, that's great. But I want you to hear what I'm saying to you. Being a student of the Bible doesn't necessarily, by default, make you spiritual. They have an intellectual, they have a knowledge of it. See, they live in a knowledge of God. There's others that live in an emotional bubble. I mean, they'll weep and cry, woo, shout the victory and all of that. That's great, I'm all for it. I'm for studying your Bible. I'm for weeping and crying and shouting and all that, you know that. But that doesn't necessarily make you spiritual. Just because you read your Bible, just because you shout, maybe a missionary gets up, tells you about hungry kids in Honduras, it touches your heart, stirs your emotions, you lay your, uh, give graciously in the offering, all of that's great, but it don't necessarily mean you're spiritual. You can do all those things, still not be spiritual. It may be your iron will. Some people get saved. Bless goodness, it happened all to do things that's abusive to my body. I'm gonna quit all my bad habits. I'm gonna quit smoking, quit dipping, all that. Throw all that away and they quit it and people say, man, ain't they spiritual? Maybe, but then again, maybe not. Maybe they've just got that good a will. They've just got an iron will and they made up their mind and they stuck with it and it may not necessarily mean that they're spiritual. And, a lot, and I'm gonna tell you, the majority of Christians that you know that are shouting and worshiping God, this is the area they live in. They're soulish. It's, not, it's better than sensual. It's better than sensual, but they're still a higher plane. Now, would you listen to me? That higher plane is spiritual. To be spiritual means that you are controlled, filled with the Holy Spirit and controlled by what he directs your life to do. A spiritual person doesn't just get up on Sunday night and say, whoo, it's good to be saved, glory, hallelujah. But on Sunday morning or on Monday morning, they hit their knees and say, Lord, what would you have for me to do today? And then he orders their lives. That's spiritual. That's the reason I told you that very few people that you know are spiritual. Very few preachers are really spiritual. Most preachers fall into the soulish category. I'm gonna be honest, I searched myself this afternoon and asked myself, am I really spiritual? Or am I in this soulish category where I've got emotions and I've got a will and I've got all these things, but am I really filled with the Spirit of God? Now you say, why does all this matter, preacher? Simply this. God said in order to lay yourself on an altar of sacrifice, you had to be holy. And we've all agreed that we can't be holy by ourselves. And so in order to be holy, what we're gonna have to do is be filled with the Spirit of God. 
The Spirit of God can make the unholy holy. He can fill the unclean vessel and make it clean. And so we've got to aspire to a higher level of spirituality. In other words, when we lay ourselves on the altar as a sacrifice, we have to say, Lord, I want you at the driver's wheel. I'm going to lose input. I'm going to quit telling you what I want to do. I want you to direct every word, every step, every motion. And that is spiritual. And I think back in my life about people that I have known that I believe were spiritual people. The one that stands out to me more than any other was Preacher Ellis Ray. Ellis, if you, if you pinned Ellis down in a Bible quiz, he would have answered a bunch of stuff that at the end of it you'd went, I don't know about all that. Because I'll be honest with you, I had doctrinal... I had doctrinal conversations with him, and there was things he was, he was just confused about on doctrine. Let me tell you what the old man was. He was filled with the Spirit of God. And he'd get in my truck on, he'd get on my, in my truck on Sunday mornings, and we'd start up over the hill, and the sun would come in through the windshield, and he'd put, that, he'd put, the, he'd put the sun visor down, and he'd start to say something about, that's a blinding me, or something like that. But instead he'd say, Oh, thank you, Lord, for the sun. Thank you, Lord, for eyes to see it. And he wasn't showing off. That's who he was. He really was thankful for the sun, and he was thankful for eyes to see the sun. He was led by the Spirit of God, full of the Spirit. And I'm going to say this. I like good, sound, doctrinal preaching. I like emotions. Y'all know me. I'll cry and sling snot and knock stuff over and shout all at the same time. But I'd rather have a preacher that was filled with the Spirit of God, lived it day in and day out. I'd rather have a Sunday school teacher. I'd rather have a church member that was filled with the Spirit of God, lived it day in and day out, than to have one that run every aisle and shouted every time. You see what I'm saying? What we need is some Christians who have yielded their lives, lock, stock, and barrel, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, laid out on the altar, and said, God, I want you to direct every aspect of your life, of my life, and the end result is, I want to be holy. Holy. I talked about it a little bit this morning in Philippians chapter 3. Paul said, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. See, there was those Jews, Brittany, that were sneaking into the churches that Paul left and they were telling everybody, you've got to be circumcised and you've got to keep the Mosaic law and you've got to do all of these different things. Paul said, watch out for those dogs. And Here's the statement he made. He said, we are the circumcision. That's what he said. We are the, now the word circumcision means to cut away. Paul said those Jews are interested in a surgical procedure. But he said God's interested in a spiritual procedure. That is to put his finger inside your heart and cut away what does not belong. You know what the process of being made holy is like? It's kind of like this. Lord, 
What have I got in my life that don't belong? And God says this. And I say, cut it away, Lord. Cut it away. That is the process of spiritual it's the circumcision of the heart. The Bible talks about the circumcision of the heart. You want to be a holy sacrifice? You want to offer yourself a sacrifice that's holy to God? Then you're going to have to let him put his finger on things in your life that don't belong. And then you're going to have to say, God, cut that out of my life. I want it out. I want rid of it. I'm listening to music I hadn't ought to listen to. It's holding me back. I can't be spiritual because of it. Cut it out. I'm watching TV shows that are holding me back and I can't be spiritual because of it. Cut it out. I'm harboring whole hard feelings and it's making me bitter and I can't be spiritual because of it. Cut it out. We're going to have to ask God through the person of the Spirit to do a work in our hearts and remove those things that don't belong so that we can be a holy sacrifice before a holy God. Holy. So you got to be living. You got to be holy. Let me give you this last one. You got to be acceptable. Now, what does it mean to be acceptable? What kind of sacrifice is acceptable to God? This one's easier than you think. You know what kind of sacrifice is acceptable unto God? One that's given completely. I want you to think about something. This morning when the offering plate came around, and let's just say it passed by somebody and they got out of 20 to put in. But before they, let me see a pen. Somebody give me a pen. Before they put the 20 in, they laid it in their lap and they wrote their name on it. I'm going to write my name on this just so it'll circulate forever. Actually, I'm going to write Jesus saves. But they wrote their name on it. And they said, I just want everybody to know that's my 20. And then at the end of the service, when Melissa's back there counting it, they went back there and they stood and they said, have you seen my 20? Have you, have you said it's got my name on it? She says, yeah, here it is. Oh, okay, what happens to it next? Oh, I'm going to give it to, to Susan to deposit in the bank. They give it to Susan. They go over to Susan and say, now, what, what, what day are you going to the bank? Tuesday? Okay. What time are you going to be down there? About 1 o'clock? All right. I'm coming because I want to see what my, my, my 20's doing. Shows up at the bank. Oh, that's my 20. She says, it's got my name on it. Look at the teller. Teller, look here. Now, Miss Teller, could you please, uh, I want to make sure that my 20 is spent on something I want. I want to make sure it's spent on, I want the church to do something with my 20 that I want done with it because that's my 20. You know what you'd say? You'd say, well, that person didn't give that money at all. Not if they have to keep their hands on it, write their name on it, decide everything that happens to it. They've not given that. See, when you put that money in the offering plate, by your trusting that the Lord is going to do what he needs to do, have done with that money, and then it's not yours anymore. You're not touching it. You gave it. When you give something, you take your hands off of it, and you're done. That's the kind of sacrifice the Lord wants. It's one that's just given completely. He wants, to sacrifice, he wants us to lay our lives down and take our hands off of it. Say, Lord, you, you, just, you just tell me the next move. 
And I'm all about it. Whatever you want me to do, Lord, just, you just order the next move. Living, holy, and acceptable. I guarantee you this. If you'll come before God with a heart for him and lay it out and say, Lord, here it is. Bring a living and holy sacrifice and give it all with no strings attached. It'll be acceptable. We were joking in here two Sundays ago on Mission Sunday. Me and Alan were sitting in the back and he said, you know, we've never had any mission, don't have any missionaries out of our church. And I said, we've never had a missionary uh, from our church. And I said, I'd love to have one. And then I was joking with Summer. Summer said, oh, don't pray for that. You know, she don't want Eli in Africa. I'll be honest with you, I wouldn't want Trey in Africa. I wouldn't want Trey in Iowa. But I'll tell you the safest place for Trey is wherever God sends him. That's what, as a parent, it's tough for me to get that in my mind, but that's, that's the way I got to look at it. The safest place he can be is where God puts him. So he was talking to me this afternoon about the churches in Iowa, and I won't go into all that, but uh, he's, he's loving that church. He loves that preacher, and he spent some time up there, but he sees a need for, for churches. I thought, oh, no. You know, fool around Iowa's going to keep him. I don't think so. He wants back in Concord Baptist Church bad. I think, uh, I think through this I've learned to appreciate him more, and he has certainly learned to appreciate this church more. But if God wants him in Iowa, that's the safest place for him. If God wants me in Iowa, that's the safest place for me. You see what I'm saying? You can't really sacrifice your life and say, Lord, I'll do anything but go to the mission field. Because that's not acceptable. God won't take it. You come to God, listen to me now. You come to God with deadlines and, and all kinds of demands and God will say, that's not acceptable. God only accepts sacrifices when you come and say, God, nothing's off the table. You want me to be a missionary in the Congo? We'll go move missionaries in the Congo. Nothing is off the table. That's a level of dedication that very few Christians ever make it to. But when they do, they change the world. I could name you some men like James Livingston, and on and on and on. Men who said, wherever, however, here I am, no strings attached, you've got it all. And God used them to change the world. What if, what if you young people, what if the Lord wants you to not date who you're dating? Or what if the Lord wants you to Go some, talk to somebody you're uncomfortable talking to or what if the Lord wants you to work in an area where you're not, are you willing to do all that in order to be used? What have you got to do to get your life in the primary spot to be used? Time's running out. 
We're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ one of these days. We're going to give an account for the deeds done in the body. And I sure would hate to go before the judgment seat with a list of excuses as to why I could not. I'd much rather go to the judgment seat and say, Lord, I gave all. Wherever you wanted me to go, I went. Whatever you wanted me to do, I did. I'd much rather it be like that. Let's stand our feet. Father, thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your grace and your mercy. Lord, would you help some folks tonight? I know I've asked them to come this morning, Lord. But tonight it brings it down home a little. Maybe they realize a little more of the seriousness of what it takes, the dedication that's involved. Lord, would you help them to move tonight from their places, just some, Lord, that would say, whatever, Lord, wherever, Lord, however, Lord, Use me. Take me. Use me. Help me to be what you'd have for me to be. Well, thank you for it. Their heads are bowed, their eyes are closed. These are moving around the altar this evening, and God's touching your heart.